loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We are talking small town murders. We're talking BFFs. We're talking likes and faves. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking about one of my favorite things, women who liberally use the word cunt. It's oh. awesome. I know. I'm going. I'm jumping right in. I'm jumping right in. I thought you were going to say social media, but sure. Yeah. Let's go with the C word 30 <laughs> who, seconds in. Who liberally use social media. Uh, no, no. A big fan of that C word. Love it when people say it. I got a critique on it in our Eyes of Laura Mars article where someone asked if it was demeaning to women, which you took over for me. So that's great. But before we jump into the movie we're discussing, I do want to bring up a guest that we have on the episode today. Ladies and gentlemen, you've read her work on Slash Film, Birth, Movies, Death, and Daily Grindhouse. You've heard her voice on the Third Times the Charm podcast with friend of the show Drew Deach, where they explore the vast and varied worlds of third movies and film franchises. Please welcome Danny Ryan. Hey, I love cunt too. So, <laughs> oh my god! Wait, I should specify. I'm sorry. I'm not sexually attracted to cunt, but I like the word cunt. I like it when people use it, and I don't use it all the time. You know, this episode, the first two minutes of this week, <laughs> betray that statement. But it's a great word. It's a great word, especially because it was always the word that was forbidden at home, and my parents swore pretty liberally. But like that was the word. And, you know, it still holds quite a bit of weight for some people, so we might have lost a couple listeners already, <laughs> but I'm willing to take that risk. I mean, it really is the most taboo of all swear words, is it not? I think so. Like, we're dropping F-bombs all over the place nowadays. Yeah. It's not taboo anymore, whereas the C word, yeah, there's a lot of people, I think, who still take offense. Yeah, and if you're offended, sorry. But... You maybe shouldn't watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you shouldn't watch this movie or listen to this, uh, listen to this podcast. No, I'm sorry. Listen to the podcast. You don't have to watch the movie if you don't want to. But we are talking about Tragedy Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sure are. And I thought I was waiting for an applause or something. Yay! <laughs> I liked it online. Oh, okay. Thumbs up. Yay, thumbs up. Like, retweet, follow it. It's great. Okay, jump right into it. So Tragedy Girls released on October 20th, 2017, following a premiere at South by Southwest in March of that same year, which is where I saw it for the first time. Uh, released by Gunpowder and Sky, which I don't think is a very big distrib distributor, um, but no. I do know that they are releasing Villains coming out, I think, later this year, which I also saw at South by this year and loved. The fun thing about such an indie upstart kind of distributor is the fact that if you want to try to get a hold of them or if you talk about the film, like we will guarantee to get a ton of press just because we'll mention Tragedy Girls. So they're very active on like following their own releases. So if you want to know more. About I don't know film, if you want to say guaranteed because you're going to say that and then they're not going to pay attention to this shit and then we're going to look stupid. I mean, I don't know. I, I tweeted about the movie once, and then one of their producers ended up following me, and now we talk all the time, so. Oh, was that Tara? Yeah. Yeah, she's lovely. Well, tits. Okay. <laughs> but also, we will kill someone if we don't get enough likes on this episode. Just yes, so. absolutely. So, we got a runtime of 96 minutes. I don't know the budget, but I will say, I don't think it was very big, but it looks good. I think it looks very good. Yeah. Oh, it looks great. Yeah. Lots of practical effects, which helps. Oh, yeah. Thank God for the practical effects. I feel like we've had a good run of movies using practical effects and not leaning too heavily into FX CGI nonsense. 
I'm trying to think what we have coming up, and I think we're in the clear for a while, so <laughs> I think we're okay. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, wh- wherever the money went to, I mean, maybe it all went to Josh Hutcherson in his five minutes of screen time. I don't know. Uh, that's an uncredited role, so I'm going to go with no. <laughs> maybe. Oh, I do want to correct something, though. So last week when we announced this movie, I said he was a producer. He is not. I was thinking of Detention, but he's a producer of that. Oh. Uh, is Craig Robinson a producer? Yes, he is. There you go. So you were like 50-50 with the big male stars in this movie. I just have a big boner for Josh Hutcherson. I don't know what to tell you. So uh, I just... same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it the size of him? Because he is so short. Uh, uh, he's fun-sized, first off. Yes. Okay. Love it, Danny. Yes. He's delightful. You can pack him in a carry-on. <laughs> no, I've been in love with him since Hunger Games, but then he was on Future Man and, oh, and yeah. then Detention, and then I was just like, oh, I'm in love with him now. It's fine. So I will do you one better. And I don't know if I've said this in the podcast before, Joe, so if I have, you can edit this out. Nah, just go for it, man. Okay, so I remember seeing Zathura in, like, 2005, maybe 2004. Jesus. Is I know. that the John Favreau film? Yeah, it's like Jumanji, but it's a space game instead of a jungle game. Right. With Kristen Stewart and Dak Shepard. So I remember seeing that, and what, 2004, 2005, I am either 15 or 16 years old. And I remember looking at my sister in the theater and being, he's going to be fucking hot when he grows up. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how old were you at this point? We I need to contextualize. I it. was 15 or 16. And, and so, how old was he? Well, let me find out. Hold okay, on. You look it up, and Danny He's and I pretty will... close to my age, so I feel like we're probably okay in this. Okay, so Zathura was 2005, so I was 16 when this came out in November of 05. Josh Hutcherson was born in 1992, so he was 13. <laughs> okay, so you're still going to get nabbed for statutory rape, but you're <laughs> technically not that far apart. No, but I mean, like, I went to go see everything he was in. I saw Bridge to Arbithia in theaters. I was so fucking excited when he got Hunger Games. I love... It's, it's like an Elijah Wood level of obsession for me. Yeah, because he's short. Uh, but let's circle back to what Danny said, because I feel like we should give a shout-out to Future Man. I don't know if it's been canceled at this point. No, no, no it hasn't. Third okay. and final season, third and final season. Okay, because that show is the bomb, and if horror people are not watching it, it has... I mean, it's not horror, but they love to introduce disgusting, profane things into that show. So people should absolutely be watching it. And you get to see Josh Hutcherson's admittedly fake, but very enormous penis. Yes. And uh, you also, I think you get to see his butt too, which I think that's his actual butt. I think that's authentic, yeah. Yes. Lots of butt. Not a real dick. But yeah, it's on Hulu streaming. We're not getting paid for this. It's just really that fucking good. It's so it's funny. It's so good. It's <laughs> yeah. so freaking funny. Like, that's one of my favorite shows that I just tell people to watch because nobody seems to be talking about it. And I'm yeah, like, come crazy. on. I know. And the second season, like, it, it's like a Mad Max setting. And I, I, it's not my favorite type of setting, but it's still really good. And I was worried because no one talks about it that it was yeah. going to get canceled. And it, I mean, I hate that it's ending, but at least we're getting like a third and final season. But um, if I may really quick, my favorite episode is the first season episode that is where they have to t- do the heist in James Cameron's house. Oh, same. I was just about <laughs> to say, like, all of the James Cameron stuff is absolutely <laughs> beautiful. It's a very meta show, much like this movie. Wow, well done. I know, I'm I'm, I'm getting so good with the segues. I'm really proud of myself. So yeah, okay, back to Tragedy Girls. (laughs) This movie didn't get a very good release. It only opened in two screens. It might have expanded, but based on the numbers, I don't think so. No, I think it did the festival circuit and it got a lot of positive buzz. And then it was like, dump. 
Yeah, and maybe that's Gunpowder and Sky, because I think I'm, I, I can guarantee this ending's going to happen to villains. But I feel like, well, we talked about horror comedies before, about how they're kind of a hard sell. I don't know if this would have attracted a lot of mainstream audiences. And I think that's actually going to be one of our big topics for this episode, is why some people, and I've seen a surprising number of people, they say that they don't like it because they don't relate to these characters. I was thinking about that the entire time I watched the movie. So we can get into our psyches too in a bit. But um, yeah, this opened at number 66 with $12,125 and ended up grossing $61,899. Oh, gosh. But as you mentioned, Joe, the reception was very positive. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, you're looking at an 82% from critics. Average score of 6.76 out of 10. I'm adding back averages into our criticisms because... I've learned that people don't understand how Rotten Tomatoes works. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Shall we do a primer for how Rotten Tomatoes work? Okay. Just really, I'm just going to say it really quickly. Everyone, Rotten Tomatoes is not a hive mind. It is not a person. <laughs> Although people do work for it as a company. Yes, they work for it as a company, but they're not the ones reviewing it or giving it the rating. And so when yeah. people say Rotten Tomatoes gave a movie 82%, it's like, no, 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 no. That's an aggregate score. That's an aggregate score, yes. So basically, critics from all over the world, it used to be a very select group. Now it's expanded because I can also write for them. I'm sorry, <laughs> not write for them, put my reviews on their site. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so they've opened it up to introduce a lot more genre-based people, which is good because as we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, uh, some of the more mainstream outlets do not look as favorably on certain types of films. Yeah, a lot of horror films. Which is why Crawl has 83% right now on Rotten Tomatoes, but an average score of like 6 out of 10. So, everyone, on Rotten Tomatoes, when you're putting your review on there, or apparently some critics, like, Rotten Tomatoes does it for them, I was like, fuck that, because that means, like, I have to trust them to put it on there. But yeah. basically, when you're doing your review, you say, is it a good review or is it a negative review? If your review is good, it's a fresh tomato. If it's ne if it's negative, it's a rotten tomato. The percentage you see on Rotten Tomatoes is the percent of fresh tomatoes or positive reviews. Doesn't necessarily indicate quality, it just means that that percentage of people would recommend the movie. Whereas, if you're on a movies page and you click the More Info button, you will see the average score. So for Tragedy Girls, 82% of critics that reviewed it gave it a positive review, but the average score is 6.76 out of 10, which is roughly a 3 or a 3.5 out of 5. Yeah, that seems a little low to me, but I can understand it. Well, I mean, I think we're going to get into it with these characters. But yeah, so audiences gave it a 66%. And then over on Metacritic, you got a 58 out of a 100 with a user score of 6.4 out of 10. Again, not as high as, as I was expecting, but whatever. Yeah, yeah I think that's an audience thing. I, I think this is a movie that's not for wide audiences. Mm-hmm. Sadly, yeah. So, Joe, why don't you take us to the plot, and then we can, we'll get into these girls. Uh, okay. <laughs> that... Yeah, we'll just leave that one alone for now. Oh, shit. I didn't even realize I was saying that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be fine with it, and I've Googled they are both of age, so I don't feel bad, but... There you go. There we go. Although, thankfully, they both actually look like teenagers in this high school set film, which is always appreciated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually... Sure. Brianna Hildebrand, when I saw Deadpool, I Googled. I was like, okay, am I a pederast? Because I need to know. <laughs> okay, and so, no. I mean, again, even though I'm gay, I don't find Brianna, I mean, she's very attractive, but I'm not attracted to her. However, I find Alexander Ship mesmerizing. More so here, though, than in uh, the X-Men movies as Storm. Oh, absolutely. You mean in her blink and you'll miss it role as Storm in the X-Men movies? Because those movies done her dirty. 
I mean, she's like in more of Dark Phoenix than she was in Apocalypse, but yeah, true story. Okay, so Tragedy Girls opens as teenagers Sadie, Brianna Hildebrand, and Michaela, or MK, Alexandra Shipp, lure Rosedale's local serial killer, Lowell Orson Lemon, Kevin Duran, into a trap near Sweetheart Bridge. After killing Sadie's date, Craig, they reveal that they're Lowell's biggest fans, and they want him to mentor their budding sociopathy. Alas, Craig's death fails to arouse suspicions thanks to a cautious Sheriff Welch, Timothy V. Murphy. The only person on their side is the Sheriff's son, Jordan, Jack Quaid, who is also the video editor for their website, Tragedy Girls. Snooze, he's so boring. He's like the human embodiment of bland. (laughs) He really is. And then he becomes super, super needy in the second half of the film. And I'm just like, okay, you were boring to begin with. And now you're annoying. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, though, he I haven't watched it yet, but he's one of the leads in Amazon's The Boys that premiered. He's actually great in it. Well, there you go. I mean, I thought I wouldn't call him a charisma vacuum in this movie, but he's just like... (laughs) I guess because the girls are so manic and he's not that it's just like a very up and down, up and down that I didn't love. Well, and I think that's maybe on purpose. Oh, I'm sure it is. Oh, yeah. He's obviously meant to be a bad fit for Sadie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a bad fit. And actually on the director's commentary, he talks about how if you look at it one way, he's the villain of the movie. And I was like, that's interesting. Oh, I definitely looked at him this way on the rewatch. That's very interesting. And well, uh, well, uh, okay, I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. We'll keep I know. Going. I know. That's my bad. <laughs> I, I want to talk about why people hate these girls. Hey, okay, go ahead. Okay. So, the lack of sensationalism causes the girls' dismay. How will they become horror legends so that they are never forgotten and their lives matter if no one takes these crimes seriously? So, to make matters worse, they learn that NK's ex boyfriend Toby, an uncredited Josh Hutcherson, <laughs> and his crotch rocket are far more popular on social media than them. Sadie decides that his emo status is hella annoying, so they run him off the road and then they stab him to death. Alas, once again, the death is deemed accidental. <laughs> when cheerleader Sill, Savannah Jade, tries to cancel prom out of respect for the two dead boys, she winds up next on the hit list. After wrecking her tiny lending library, Sill is killed Final Destination style in the woodshop with a bandsaw. Best scene of the movie for me i'm sorry like oh I'm... it's so good the well the the reveal of what they did to her body is the best part <laughs> really awful the lie just so there's no possible way she could have done this herself <laughs> which is then... true she definitely did not decapitate herself and put her head on that spinning thing <laughs> your shoes are not regulation <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, okay, so the girls stage the crime and their hard work pays off as their popularity online and IRL begins to climb. At Sills Memorial, Fire Marshal Big Al, Craig Robinson, steals their thunder, so the girls take him out that night at Gun Blaster's gym. The next day, Michaela sabotages a press conference with a well-timed video text that makes Jordan suspicious. At the Take Back the Night Walk, the girls then learn that Lowell has escaped his confinement. Despite the threat of an actual serial killer hunting them, Michaela insists that they kill Jordan when she learns that he has covertly stolen their burner phone. When Sadie goes to Jordan's house to do the deed, Lowell attacks, stabbing Jordan in the shoulder and escaping before the sheriff can shoot him. Although Michaela covertly collects him, so that's all fine. (laughs) The friendship unfortunately fractures two weeks later when Sadie fails to share the credit with Michaela when the sheriff praises her bravery. The pair break up. 
Jordan eventually takes Sadie to prom, where Michaela and Lowell lure Sadie into a trap. Michaela reminds Sadie that they killed Jordan's mother when they were young, which he naturally overhears. Michaela winds up shooting Lowell when he gets bloodthirsty, prompting Sadie to realize who she truly loves. She hangs Jordan, and together with Michaela, they lock the gym doors and burn down the school carry style. In the coda, the pair drive off together, armed with a book tour, full scholarships, and a lifetime movie in the works, and enter the next stage of their serial killer careers. I think that's the quickest you've ever gotten through that in, like, the past three months. They just keep getting longer. Part of it is that I could have just been like, they killed this person, then this person, then this person. But I feel like part of the fun of this is how they don't seem to have any plan at all. And then somebody crosses them and they're like, well, the next 15 minutes is going to be dedicated to setting up this person and then murdering them. Which is the most teenage girl thing on the planet Earth, if I'm being honest. right? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a very, it's, it's an ADD movie for an ADD generation. Like, it's all over the place, but like, and I mean that as a total compliment. See, that's interesting because I found the thing that bothered me the most on the first time watch was the Craig Robinson Big Al segment. Really? Just because he comes out of nowhere and then they have this big extended action sequence where they have to kill him at the gym. And I just thought, if he wasn't a producer, would this scene even be in here? Like, it kind of felt like a quid pro quo thing for helping to get the film made. Like, okay, we're going to put you in here. And then they wrote this scene for him. And I didn't really feel like it worked because it just feels like a character comes out of nowhere, gets murdered, and then set aside. But if you think about it from what you just said, Trace, the ADD sort of schizophrenic back and forth, like I Mm -hmm. can't really latch onto anything for too long, (laughs) I get distracted. That actually does kind of make it work. See, the, the part, the chunk that I don't like about this movie is the falling out between them. It reeks of, like, that rom-com trope, almost, where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, they, oh, like, the couple, they one of them betrayed each other, and they're, like, not together anymore, but you know they're going to get back together in the end, because, I, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it, but this movie's kind of a romantic comedy between the two of them, yeah. and that it follows that particular trope really gets my goat. Oh, same. Like, that bothered me the most, because my whole thing with these kind of movies and sort of like turning them on their head like this is kind of a riff on heathers yes yeah but at the same time it's like they're on more equal footing than i think the two characters in heathers ever were Mm -hmm. and so i'm actually kind of rooting for their friendship more than i ever rooted for the relationship there (laughs) like there's just something so much more charming about it and so as long as you're rooting for their friendship you're gonna be happy but if you think they're bad for each other you know you have problems with these characters you're gonna have problems with the movie as a whole Oh my gosh, you just said like 15 things that I need to unpack in excruciating detail, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, where, where do you want to start? Yeah, we've got some conversation topics. We can talk about if you think that they're equal protagonists or if one sort of has a bit of a leg up, if they're friends or are they in love with each other, and then also why do people like or not like these girls? I want to do that one. Okay, so let's start with that. So, okay, are we all in agreement that we like these girls? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. I am too. So why do you think people would not like them? No, there's an inherent morality. You know, these are girls that are, well, not only are they killers, which is one strike against them with some people that can't look over the fact that this is like a farcical comedy. Not really a farce, I guess, but like. Well, you're being actively, you're being encouraged to actively root for people to murder other people. Right. And find it amusing. And some people can't cross that line. Like that's hurdle number one. 
so that's that's non-horror fans that you have trouble getting. But then with horror fans, you have trouble getting them on your side because these are quote-unquote obnoxious bratty millennials who are obsessed with social media. I think that's part of it. I think mm-hmm. I would add a third one into that, which is that these are teen girls. I think that there's an inherent gendered element to this entire film, which is one of the reasons why we put it in a femme fatale month. Fuck, we keep forgetting to label it. Yeah, so I'm week two to of help you out, man. <laughs> week two of Femme Fatale Month. Yay! Yay! <laughs> but I do think for some people this is problematic because I mean, I'm just gonna whip my dick out, throw it on the table. No. Oh. I think that there's a lot of horror fans who are inherently misogynistic and they don't like women unless they're falling into their predefined categories of virgins who can be final girls or bitches and cunts who mm-hmm. deserve to die because they're sluts or whatever. So to have this film have two strong-minded girls whether you want to call them flaky whether you want to say they have adhd whatever at the end of the day there are main characters they are sexually active they are motivated and goal-centric and they're also killers okay before we continue i want to make a little call to action listeners if you are listening to this and you are not a misogynist and you didn't like these girls <laughs> please email us tweet us whatever please let us know why did you not like them if you're not misogynistic if you are misogynistic no need we get it well <laughs> I'll, I'll be interested to hear how many people self-declare their misogyny but <laughs> that sure, was that was yeah. the joke that was the fucking joke <laughs> <laughs> i think the other thing too though is I think a lot of people are on board until the ending, until burning down the high school, because every other victim, there's at least like some sort of setup as to why there's a reason. Yeah. But then they burn down that whole school and like some of the characters that you're introduced to that they kill in that sequence are like not terrible people. Like I love the nerdy girl with the glasses that's oh, yeah. Yeah. constantly getting, you know, picked at and that kind of thing. And I'm like, she didn't, what did she do? Like she didn't hurt anybody. So that's when they kind of cross the line for a lot. I, I mean, for me, the first time I was like, oh, I don't know if I can keep rooting for them, but I kind of yeah, have to. I think for me, it was when they kill Jordan, when she hangs yeah. him. Because I mean, even though I don't really care about him, I didn't dislike him. And he didn't well, do anything wrong until we... Oh, I wanted him gone. I was like, <laughs> he, he was so controlling and needy. And yeah. and he tried to like make her feel bad for taking care of herself and having friendships. And I was just like, no, be gone with you. All right. I'm into it. I mean, whether or not that means he deserved to die, it's a little debatable. No, but... but... Well, in the world of this film, yeah, people he, have done he far does. less and gotten far worse. Yeah, I mean, yes. somebody built a little house and got killed for it because she was being <laughs> fake, so... Uh, that lending library? I- I've never even heard of that. I guess You've that never heard a of a tiny You've never library? heard of those? Never heard of it. They're very popular. I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Is it because you don't read? I, we just watched Audition last week where I read a book. I don't... <laughs> It's a really good book, though, but it is short. He did so. talk endlessly about how it was only 190 pages. I did. I did. I said yeah. it like five times. Because yeah. <laughs> I was trying to get people to read it. I'm trying to promote Oh, literacy. it's such a good read. Yeah. It's such a quick, easy, good read. Yes, it is. Uh, this movie, unfortunately, is not based on a book. But that's okay, because it's super fun. <laughs> that was not a good transition. <laughs> that one's a work in progress. That's okay. So 
so the lending library interesting tidbit from the uh from the the commentary the lending library was based on the myers house from halloween and there's a buttload of little easter eggs scattered throughout the film like clearly the guys that made this did love horror so there's there's some fun ones there's actually um so i didn't know that that's awesome but no so i love horror comedies especially meta ones and i found that a lot of the ones that i've seen recently especially the smaller indie ones and i'm thinking specifically of like um oh he's gonna name names well no so i mean like Bloodfest, which is a rooster teeth production and it, you know it was like the hellfest but like it came out first blah 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 Oh, or like Stage Fright, which isn't really super meta, but it's eh, it kind of is. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of things that I, annoy me when like a movie like feels like it's like it's trying too hard. Yeah, and like the the references are really like either dated or they're just like not clever enough. I didn't feel like that in this movie. The only reference or joke that I was like, ooh, that's already dated, was uh, the Candy Crush reference. But honestly, yeah. I think most even the references to Martyrs, Final Destination, like all that, it kind of flowed for me whereas i feel like the worst horror comedies the movie grinds to a halt to like be like look at what we just said yeah i'll give you that like as much as i loved it like final girls there were moments where i was like oh that's hokey like any but Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I love that movie but there were moments where i was just like i wish you were rated r yeah i mean i I feel the same way i think it's when they're referencing their like real world things like things that i I can in our, our world, too. Again, like, even just saying, like, when um, Syl dies, oh, the, she got found destination or something. Like, that worked, whereas I feel like maybe in the hands of a lesser actress or a lesser director, or I guess a lesser writer, who knows, one of the three or all three, it wouldn't work. Well, I think in this case, too, there's a tone that helps, but it's not veering so far into it that every character is talking in these kinds of ridiculous movie cliches. It's unfortunately one of the things that Scream's legacy has left us, which is this idea that every movie needs to have a Randy or all the characters are Randys. Yeah. Where they're just so self-aware and they're so meta- But part of the reason it works in Scream is because Randy is the movie-obsessed individual in that group. Now, I think in Tragedy Girls it works because we've got these two girls who have done their homework, right? So they're kind of proxy stand-ins for both the audience, but also these two directors, as Danny, you just mentioned. They clearly did their homework. They know these movies. So the girls fulfill that function. Nobody else in this movie acts like they're living in a horror film. Although, I will say, Michaela making fun of Argento is a sin. <laughs> oh, I... Okay, I'm sorry, so... you mean Dario DiGiorno or Gario Arshapaggio? Mario Luigi? <laughs> Dario Arpeggio. <laughs> Which, I was like, okay, wait, was she just fucking with him, or did she really not know who he was? Because I was, I was like, wait a minute. Trey, she's you. She doesn't like Italian horror. That's true, but I still know who Dario Argento is, or Dario... Fuck. God damn it. I pulled a U. Dario Argento. I was gonna say, or maybe she's a me, and she just can't pronounce fucking foreign names because her tongue I mean, they, they are supposed to be... They shot this in Kentucky, so is it supposed to take place in Kentucky? Maybe well, she hasn't f- heard? I mean, we have the internet. It's a fictional town. It's something like Rosewood or Rosedale. It's Rosedale. Rosedale. But it's it's like it's supposed to be based on like the Riverdale slash like Sabrina the Teenage Witch town. It's like those little small towns where like creepy things happen. Riverdale. Yeah. 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 They say a couple times that it's in Midwest. It's their sleepy Midwest town. So I do think it's just meant to stand in for an everywhere kind of place. But mm-hmm. the way that they talk about things like Martyrs and Dario Argento, I think you're also meant to infer that they're probably not getting a huge swath of foreign horror films. 
Right. We did kind of divert or digress away from the likability of the two characters. I don't. I feel like we didn't unpack that enough. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Michaela making fun of Argento is going to piss off some horror fans. <laughs> <laughs> and then the killing of everybody in the high school is going to piss off your moralists. Beyond that, the only thing I could see, and this isn't a problem I had, but it's a problem I could see myself having if I'd have seen this at a different point in life, mm-hmm. is that they're popular and they get away with it. And it's like, right. in Heathers, like, the popular girls are the bitches. And in, in a lot of these other things, like, if you're popular, that signals that you're going to die. You're the bad guy. Well, but I mean, also in Heather's, though, I mean, like you have Veronica and J.D., but J.D. is very clearly the villain of that movie, whereas Veronica changes course. You're not ever asked to really identify with J.D. past a certain point. You're supposed to uh, not recognize. Oh, my God. What is the term? Relate. (laughs) You're supposed to relate to Veronica after a certain point when it's obviously it's like, oh, they're not in it together anymore because, like, you know, she's the good guy. Whereas this one, they never quite have that turn. They're fully, quote unquote, evil through and through. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And this is the thing that I, that I struggled with when I've talked to people about this film. Is it that they don't like the characters? So the way that these teen girls are presented, you know, the vernacular that they have, the actions that they do. Or is it that they don't actually like the film's stance on morality? Mm. Like the film is encouraging you to sympathize and or relate with these girls. Because mm-hmm. to me, those those are two different things. You can like the girls and feel like the film doesn't encourage that connection, which is where I stand. Like I think at the end of the film, there's the shot, the slow motion shot of the sheriff crying as he yeah. gestures towards the burnt school where his son's dead body is. And I don't think that that's... That's not from the perspective of the girls. That's for our benefit, the audience's benefit. Well, and there's a comedic bit at the very, very end when they drive off into the sunset and, you know, the father of Michaela turns to the mother and he's like, we did good. And it's like, okay, clearly they know, the the movie knows these are villains. Like, that's the joke. Yeah. Michaela's mother played by Scream 2's Elise Neal. And I know she's been in a bunch of other stuff, but that's all I know Elise Neal from. Well, and Danny, I'm curious because I want to know how much the directors talk about Scream because there are so many Scream references in this movie. They reference it once or twice. They they reference that she was in Scream 2 and they're like, oh, that's, you know, of course we had to put Scream references in because we had her and this and that. So they're big fans. They, they reference, I mean, it's just like horror movie name drop watching that commentary and it's a yeah. lot of fun. Because you got Scream, Evil Dead, 1981 Student Bodies, Halloween, (laughs) Carrie. Death Proof, Hannibal, Torso. Yep, yep, Hannibal. Actually, like, even the prom decor was inspired by the movie Carrie, like, down to the silver glittery stars. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty good stuff. They didn't mention Scream a ton by name, but they were really hyped that they got her because (laughs) they were like, she was in Scream too. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I got two very explicit Scream references. So one is when Jordan is at home and he gets a text from Sadie and he says, where are you? And her text says your front door, which is what the killer says to Mm -hmm. Sydney in the first Scream. But then most significantly, the thing that gives 
the queer reading to this film for me is there's a moment in the hall where you see Jordan talking to the girls and Michaela puts her head on Sadie's shoulder and it's mm-hmm. the exact same shot as in Scream oh. when Billy and Stu are in the kitchen. Gotcha. It's super possessive. It is. I think that it kind of goes a bit back and forth in this film, but my reading is that Michaela is in love with Sadie. Yes. And I've, I've had people read. be like, no, you're reading nope. into it too much. And I'm like, all you have to do is look at their, like, she touches Sadie at every opportunity. Oh, they're, yeah, Michaela is completely in love with Sadie. And I think Sadie loves Michaela, but maybe the romantic slash sexual aspect of it is not reciprocated, but she definitely deeply cares for her. And so it's, that's where a little bit of the, the unevenness and, and the conflict in the film really comes from, because... Sadie's not willing to commit to Michaela 100% like Michaela's willing to go the other way. Yeah, and people who would say, oh, well, no, Michaela, you know, she was dating the Josh Hutcherson character. The way that he is presented, I mean, he's only in a couple of scenes, but there's that backing music that's all romantic that's meant to convey that he puts a spell on girls, and she always looks like she's mildly stunned. So I don't actually think that she has a romantic interest in him so much as he has the capacity to put people under his charming spell. So you're saying he has like a magic cock that like just like waves like spells at women to make them crush him? Uh, I believe it's a motorcycle called a crotch rocket. Yes. Oh, he can rocket my crotch any day. That's <laughs> not Is that a thing? the same thing. No. <laughs> I, I see it as that, but I also see it as, with him, I saw it as her going, oh, okay, well, here's somebody I could distract myself with. Here's somebody, like, kind of cool that I could maybe stop having these feelings about Sadie that are too intense or whatever. And then when Sadie's like, oh, we have to kill him, she's resistant at first. And she actually is kind of like, no, I, I have a crush on him. And I think that's a really great representation of girls that are bi or pan honestly because i was like yeah i'd hook up with josh hutcherson and brianna hildebrand come on or you'd hook up with josh hutcherson to get to brianna hildebrand there you or go. both at the same time <laughs> i mean jo, you're at a loss though because like no matter what we say we're still gonna get those you guys are reaching comments oh, yeah. Yeah, even though sure. like if we're gonna call it a reach it's not the furthest home we've made on this podcast well, and it's not that big a reach because it felt so accurate to like i had a friend who had a crush on me and had that sort of relationship and i'm like that's i immediately picked up on it i was like oh ding 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 she's in love with her this is not gonna end well okay so my question then is do we think that michaela is a killer because she also seems to be slightly more resistant to no, the acts no. like Sadie is more often the one who makes the plans and initiates the deaths right but also like Michaela's the one that stabs Josh Hutcherson like a thousand times yeah Michaela enjoys it I mean especially when she starts you know when she turns Lowell like that's my whole thing is that's the moment that I was like oh she she's a hundred percent in on this too because she she turns Lowell I mean she makes a yeah. pet out of Buffalo Bill basically I prefer Michaela as a character because I feel like she's the crazier one of the two. When she's trying to act like the good girl, it's just really funny. Like, she has that kind of, like, ditzy, like, your typical, stereotypical, like, silly, sexy, dumb, blonde woman, even though she's not blonde. Like, she knows what to do to get men's attention to make them do what she wants. And it's just really funny. She does, but at the same time, that didn't work on Big Al at all. Oh, I know. No. <laughs> well, it's because, A, he had just 
spent his energy on the teacher, but oh yeah, that scene always has a bit of a weird, uncomfortable sexuality to it, where she's trying to come onto him, and I think he's the only person who recognizes that there's a huge age discrepancy. Right, and he's like, no, I'm okay. But no, when she's like, mm, water, and she's like licking her lips, so refreshing. It's uh, <laughs> I live for jokes like that. Like they could have dragged that out forever, and even though oh, they did, apparently the directors talked. He talked about he's like, um, so we have some cuts of this that went way way too far and had to be on the, the cutting room floor and i'm like i would live to see those cuts right and the dvd has literally none of them there's Nothing. no special features on you there. know it's weird the blu-ray like hey it's fine it's a good blu-ray but like the main menu looks cheap the box itself is thicker than a normal blu-ray and the back looks i don't want to say like like a high schooler printed it out, but it doesn't look very professional. And that might be a Gunpowder and Sky thing, so sorry if you work for Gunpowder and Sky and you're listening to this, but the DVD, uh, the Blu-ray does look less professional. It looks a little bootleg. Yeah, yes. Oh, good one, yes. Are you sure that it's not meant to look like they put it together for their website? No, because then it would look more artsy-crafty, and it does not look like that. Yeah, it would be like the Borat disc, where it looked like it was handwritten on with marker, and when I worked at Blockbuster, everybody kept going, um, I got the wrong disc, and I'm like, no, you didn't. (laughs) Well, it's it's like, yeah, if it was meant to look like that, Joe, I think they would make it look, like, worse. It'd be more More intentionally, yeah. Yeah, but, like, when this, it looks like it's just like, oh, like, they're just putting it out there. I mean, it doesn't even feel like that. It just feels like very low budget, yeah. more so than anything. It's like, I feel like there was effort made, but they just didn't have the the resources to do maybe what they wanted. Right. Yeah. Unless unless anyone thinks I'm trying to dissuade you from buying the Blu-ray, don't. The Blu-ray is good. Like, it has oh, good, please do. good video audio quality, and you do have that commentary on there. And the commentary is fun. And let's also take a moment to check our privilege because there are so many movies that don't even get a physical release. That too? Yeah. Like, there's so many Netflix originals and whatever that I'm just like, I just want a Blu-ray copy of this. That's all I want. If we could just get a fucking Blu-ray of Hush and Gerald's Game, I swear to God, Netflix. Ugh. Uh, No, but then, I mean, the minute that they do those, I'm going to want commentaries. I'm going to want alternative takes. I'm Um, like, all the dark. I need Sonya telling me everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so we had three legs of a tripod to hit on. We did one of them. Yes. What were the other two? So you brought it up, but you can't remember. Uh, I was throw- I was throwing the ball back in your court. Okay, so we. Oh, I guess had- we t- we talked about their sexuality. That was two. We legs. did. So we did. We hit two two of the three legs. So and then the third would be. Oh, are they friends? Well, no, that was the sexuality. Are they friends or are they more? Yeah. Joe, you said these things. I I was summarizing. <laughs> okay, hold on. So Everybody take a breather. I'm gonna think about it. Okay, we have likability of the girls. Well, okay, I, I actually uh, I want to go. Uh, gonna, I'm gonna go back to All the right, but film. If you beat this dead horse. I'm gonna edit it out. No, 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 no. I know that's totally fine. But what I, I want to say one thing. We have to have a whole discussion about it. But the reason that I I think it's very clear that the movie doesn't have like. Oh, it's not supporting them per se. Is that the film is using the heightened comedy and their murders, which are ridiculous, as a commentary on the youth's obsession with social media, and it's not approving of it in any shape, way, or form. Which is why it utilizes the murders to be their motive of like their their mo of getting more social media mentions and follows. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and the fact that none of the people they killed do does any none of them do anything heinous. Like if they were going around doing like actual vigilante stuff, that would make them, you know, easier to get behind, easier to support. And the movie could kind of try to get behind them if if this was like a rape revenge thing or something like that, but pretty much everything everybody does is just get on their nerves or get in their way in some way, shape, or form. Well, and isn't that interesting? Because, like, Joe, we just talked about recently how horror movies love to give women, like, a tragic backstory or a rape or something like that that, you know, is, like, makes them quote-unquote damaged. Whereas this one, it's not, it doesn't do that. I mean, granted, they're murdering, you know, because they're insane. But it's almost as if, like, social media itself is their rape. Like, it's, like, it's the thing that makes them damaged. Yeah, I mean, I think that is actually one of the other things that people don't love about this film, that they kind of conflate with the characters themselves, is the idea that these millennials will literally just do anything for empty gratification, which is personified in the film with the icons of hearts and thumbs up and stuff whenever they become more popular, is, which is one of the, the fun visual quirks of the film that I really enjoy. But... I think there's potentially an older audience of people who looks at this and says, why would I want to watch this movie that has these two high school girls doing things for such an empty, it's kind of like a a zero calorie motivation, right? Which Mm -hmm. is funny because I think I'm going to throw this in here and then back away, but also going to plug the Dead Ringers episode that has already discussed it. A lot of parallels between the motivations in this film and Scream 4. Discuss. Oh, oh, they, yeah. Sorry, I forgot that they paired that. And uh, listeners, as I mentioned last week, you can uh, head over to Dead Ringers and listen to my guest appearance discussing Drag Me to Hell and Night of the Demon. And I'll leave that. But yeah, no, you're, you're right. It's all about like, social media and all that jazz. But I think there's a lot of people who don't love this idea of social media as a driver. I think some people find it cliche. Ooh. I think like the Candy Crush thing, it's maybe not going to age in a particular way but i think think... for some people this feels very prescient like when i watched this back in 2017 i thought to myself their finger is kind of on the pulse like people have killed for way dumber things than gaining a (laughs) following online yeah oh yeah i feel like um there's another film that mirrors this it's called killers not the one with Ashton Kutcher. I was say with oh, Catherine Heigl. God, no, I was like, Danny, I'm pulling the plug on your cord. No. Mm-mm. No, no. Different different killers. This one's directed by, oh, I'm going to butcher his name, Timo Tejado. He did the... Oh. Did you yeah. talk about that he... before, Trace? No, someone? but no. I mean, I, I know the director. I, I, I think I said... He did The Night Comes For Us. Yeah, and he did um, the, the good segment of... Uh, sorry, the really good segment of VHS 2, the one that's in like the, the cult. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so okay. he directed half of the movie Killers, and the other half was directed by a Japanese guy. Because um, the movie takes place half in Japan, half in Indonesia, but it's very similar. It's a serial killer and a vigilante killer who become friends online <laughs> and end uh-huh. up, you know, taking people out. And the very last shot is of a phone, you know, getting likes and that kind of thing. And right. it felt like that same sort of concept. It's just like Tragedy Girls. It's like, oh, it's for likes. It's for this this thing that a lot of older generations don't understand. But at the same time, you can understand it. Just be like sitting there, seeing those little hearts pop up on the screen. I'm like, oh, I get it. Like you get that little endorphin rush, that little, oh, oh, yay. Somebody liked it. Well, yeah. So we, we can transition to social media in general, like the commentary on it, like from to the do this, because I think that's just a thing with, I right, look at just generations. Typically, isn't it the older generation that doesn't like the current 
movies, horror or otherwise, coming out because a lot of them are geared towards younger folk. So just like when Scream 4 came out eight years ago, people didn't love it. And then, like, now it's, I think, well, I don't want to say more, like, timely horror films are going to age better. But it's almost like, I feel like with Scream 4 and maybe even this to an extent, it's criticizing something that people still like and do. So maybe they felt criticized, like it was criticizing them, which it is. Mm-hmm. And by them, I also mean us. Because, I mean, look, how the fuck do all of us know each other? Twitter. <laughs> but, like, maybe, like, people are so, un- they, they don't like the finger being pointed at them, as you so, you know, perfectly put, Joe. And that maybe they find ways to not like the movie that's criticizing them or their actions. Well, I think in some regards too, people don't like films that feel too of a moment, right? I think Mm -hmm. you're right that there is a generational divide. I don't know how you would break it down if only because part of me is like, well, I love eighties films, but I also love modern films. So I don't know like what generation would I put myself in unless we're breaking it down literally among, you know, I mean, I think it's somewhat literally because I feel like there's a, secondhand language of being online that folks gen x and younger kind of have picked up and and a lot of folks that are older my parents age and older they just don't get it they don't understand memes they don't understand sort of the shorthand we have they don't understand like there's jokes in this that are you know kind of silly but they're reliant on your understanding i mean lowell's initials are (laughs) lol i didn't know that Out of curiosity, have either one of y'all seen the director's uh, other film? Um, so, sorry, the um, director is Tyler McIntyre. He did a movie called Patchwork. I have not. I was trying to see if maybe, like, he, there were similar themes in that movie, because it also has the same writing duo, which is McIntyre and Chris Lee. The composer, the cinematographer, both worked on that movie, too. Hmm. I've never seen it, and honestly, I don't think I'd even heard of it. Uh, the title sounds familiar, but it's also so generic that it... I could just be. I'm pretty sure else. they're both Canadian, and I think it's a little tiny Canadian film. God damn it! Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, I from know. Canada. Oh, what is that? Another. Connection I love to Canadians. Canada? I love Canadians. It's just like <laughs> there's no shortage of them making movies everywhere. <laughs> it's true. Well, it's because we give you tax breaks, and you come up here and you explain. That's us true. For our labor, That's true. So. Move your fat. Hey everyone, are you looking for spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, and edge-of-your-seat suspense? Then Shudder is the app for you. Dubbed the Netflix of horror, you'll have access to the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment for just $5.99 a month. Shudder has a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series like Dead Wax and Horror Noir, horror classics like Halloween and A Nightmare on Elm Street, and blockbuster hits like Mandy. It's so convenient. My favorite feature is their collections, which come in handy for my themed monthly movie nights that you know I love to have. They've got a collection on classic slashers, affectionately dubbed slashics, another one on female vengeance, which you all know I love, and my personal favorite, queer horror, which can really come in handy when listening to this very podcast. They even recently added to the collection the amazing queer horror slasher film, Knife Plus Heart, which we covered back in June. And did I mention how portable the service is? That's right. With Shudder, you'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free horror films and TV shows on all your favorite devices, including your iPad, your Xbox One, and your Google Chromecast. And because we love it so much, Joe and I have decided to give you a month of Shudder for free. That's right, 30 days for free. To try it out, just go to Shudder.com, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use the promo code QUEERS, that's Q-U-E-E-R-S. And now, back to our program. 
But this whole concept of does the film's premise and its motivation, does that work for people? Does that put them off? I'm very intrigued by it because I think in the case of this film, it's actually using the way that social media is presented as a very... Like, it's, it's fascinating, right? And I think, Danny, as you suggested, it's foundationally built on a bunch of different ideas that if you don't get that joke, maybe you feel like you're on the other side of it. I'm very curious to know whether or not there are people who don't like it for that yeah. very reason or if they feel like it's just not going to age well. And same something. as, like, detention. Like, as soon as you said detention with Josh Hutcherson, I'm yeah. like, that feels related to this. Like, they feel like they're in the same sort of cinematic canon of this, like, ADD, hyperactive... Yeah. Well, I, I think the editing has a lot to do with that, though, because it's very, like, quick. And, oh, even the cinematography, which is bright and bubbly, yeah. which, oh, oh. Really quick though, I don't know if y'all saw this, but the fucking cinema- midsummer. Yes, the cinematographer, the what? cinematographer is Powell Pogrzelski, which oh. who also did the cinematography <laughs> for Hereditary and Midsummer. <laughs> wow, um, and I butchered that name, uh, which I also did on our Patreon episode on Midsummer, but that's okay. Maybe third time I'll get it. Uh, you know, points for effort. I love a good Gario Arpaggio. <laughs> Listeners, if you didn't listen to our episode on Audition last week, please go listen to those first 10 minutes, because um, they're a treat. There's a drinking game in the number of times that I missed. You'll be dead in 10 minutes. But yeah, no, it, but it's a, it, both Detention and this, very bright, very quick editing. There's a lot of editing gimmicks. Mm -hmm. And yeah, mm. like you said, Joe, it's very meta. It feels youthful, right? Like, the number of reviews that I saw from people being like, oh, this is trying a little bit too hard. Oh, it's trying to be Heathers. It's Mean Girls with Killers. I was like, ooh, there are a lot of people who are making reaches to kind of say, this is like the film that we had in my well, generation yeah. when I was smoking a corn pipe That's, and wearing and I, a I was wearing my jelly shoes and smoking some menthols if it's the 90s. Oh, my God. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I've been guilty of, you know, comparing. It's like, this movie is just like this with this. But it's usually it's more like if I'm complimenting a movie. I think if you're critiquing and you're just saying, oh, it's like this but not as good, I think that's lazy criticism. <laughs> Agreed. I always feel like it's more of a shorthand when you're trying to recommend a film to somebody. Yeah. Like, here's the tone, or here's something. If you like this, you're probably going to like it. I'd love that we keep bringing up Detention. Sidebar, if people have not seen Detention, fucking seek that shit out, because Joseph Kahn is Time-traveling grizzly bear! It's amazing, but it yes. is not for everyone. Whereas I think this is more audience-friendly, no. but, like, yeah. Detention for me yes. is a 5 out of 5, but my husband hates it. It's like a 1 out of 5 Same. for him. <laughs> It's yeah, my husband hated sure. it. He's like, this is so dumb. And I'm like, this is amazing. It's what are you so talking about? <laughs> I mean, I do think one of the other problems that these kinds of films have is because they sometimes feel like they're evoking a music video. Yeah. Children, music videos are visual images that music is set to. They used they to still... air all the time on something called So you MTV. mean the movie Ultraviolet, if you turn out the awful oh, dialogue? Oh, God. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I've never Ooh. seen it, but I love Mila Jovovich. I do, too. Oh, I God. saw it in it's theaters. So awful. It's awful. But if you turn off the dialogue and just play the Chemical Brothers, it works. Right. All right. Yeah. I mean... I mean, it's like two oh, hours of... Yeah, I mean, work. so you got to do drugs first, <laughs> but... All right. Well, it's one of those ones where I've been like, oh, like I, I know it's terrible. Maybe I want to rent it. I don't know. No, it's not even. It's not it's even. Not yeah, even it's not fun. good. Bad. It's just boring. Ah, uh, see that's 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 the biggest sin. Like, give me a bad movie any day. Just don't give me a boring bad movie. Exactly. Give me bad like Wild Wild West where I'm just shaking my head. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Back to the tragedy of these girls. I know, I'm recouping. <laughs> so what do you make of this friendship slash romance in the pantheon of teenage girl horror films? I think they're up there with like thoroughbreds and... Oh, I forgot about thoroughbreds. Like Heavenly Creatures, yes. The Craft. Yes, very much so. Like, these are, like, clearly villains, but they're villains we're kind of rooting for because, I mean, as, as a woman, like, only being the final girl or the victim gets so boring. So kind of getting to have a villain that I can kind of cling to a little bit is a lot of fun. And both of these girls are so much fun. So yeah, definitely put them with Thoroughbreds and The Craft and, to a much lesser extent, the French film Bas et Moi. What is that? It translates to either fuck me, fuck yeah, me. fuck me, or um, I've seen the, uh, the you know, PC translation is kill me. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's Thelma and Louise turned up to 11. Oh. It's Thelma and Louise, except they go on a murder sex spree, and it is nuts, and none of the sex is simulated, so it's one of those movies. Yeah, it's considered a, adjacent to new French extremity, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes it is. Yeah. Very much so. But I've always thought, like, that's the most extensive, crazy version of this relationship that I've seen, where just two women go off the deep end together. And it's one of those things, it's like, I love it, but I'm also kind of afraid of it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So, Joe, you mentioned Heavenly Creatures. I think we could even bring in Knock Knock, the Eli Roth movie with Keanu mm -hmm. Reeves to that. Not really anymore. Although, oh, actually, well, the film we're discussing next week kind of has that same feel, but not. it's not in the same vein as this. But you do have two women. Right. I like them, and I also think that the film puts in Lowell to be, like, a even bigger villain. So it's, like, makes them maybe look better by comparison? Yeah, but then it's hilarious because he's the, you know, the big bad or whatever, and they just keep emasculating him repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end, he's, like, going to make his final stand, and she just shoots him. And it's just, that's it. And the other man tries to, you know, oh, I'm going to save you, and he's ultimately useless, too. And I was like, that's kind of great, honestly. So I, I got to ask you all this. So I, I confess, when I saw this at South By, you know, I, I always go through for film festivals, I'm, like, looking at, okay, what's horror? What can I cover? Whatever. I don't always read, like, the full summary that they put in there. I'll, I'll read, like, the logline, but I had forgotten what it was about. And so the, the opening of the film I remember seeing for the first time actually took me by surprise. Like, that's a version of expectation. Like, oh, like, they're kidnapping the killer. Is that something that y'all saw going into it? Or were y'all also taken surprised by that? I, I was taken completely by surprise. Like, all I knew going into it was, like, they're best friends and they're killers. That's it. Like, I was sort of like, okay, I'm going to go into this. It's going to be poppy. It's going to be fun. But... I have no idea what's happening otherwise. And then that opening scene started and I was like, wait, she's one of the killers. So why is she in the victim role? Mm -hmm. And so I knew something was up, but I, I didn't know it was going to be them kidnapping Lowell and then everything that happens from there. But I do, I do love all of the stuff with the two of them and Lowell. I think it's just a lot of fun. It's very macabre. I mean, like, and, and I like that gallows humor. Like, mm -hmm. That's kind of my selling point, which again, I know people can't really get in touch with, but, oh, sorry. I, I, cut you off joe <laughs> oh i was gonna say i'm mostly on par with danny i don't think that i knew that there was another serial killer at play although i believe it is in the log line if you take a look at the description i'm sure it film. is but i didn't always know that it was going to be so meta so i thought that it was going to be a bit more of a straightforward mm. these two girls who are 
basically on a killing spree in order to gain popularity. And I think that you could see the potential for black comedy and humor in that, but there's a potentially darker version of this film somewhere that oh, there's no absolutely. humor at all, and it's just them doing terrible things. <laughs> I feel like the darker version of this, and it definitely takes a different direction, but I feel like My Best Friend's Exorcism, the novel, is sort of the darker turn of this. Yeah. So that's a book by Grady Hendrix that is currently in the process of being adapted into a feature film. And Mm -hmm. it's two best friends. One of them disappears on a weekend rager. And when they find her a couple hours later, she seems different and she's not acting like herself. And it comes to be discovered that she has been possessed by a demon, but also maybe she's just a high school girl. All right. I mean, I think a lot of these films get traffic out of this idea that high school is hell Hell. Mm -hmm. and that female friendships can sometimes be inherently destructive, sometimes physically, but more often than not emotionally. Actually, yeah. I mean, even I've seen another one to throw into the mix, but yeah, Jennifer's Body, which we discussed months ago. Well, and and Martyrs. I mean, Martyrs, absolutely. It's about two women who are in a destructive relationship, so... Yeah, that's super, super true. See, Jordan should have seen it coming. Obviously, he didn't watch the film closely enough. And I was surprised, honestly. Wait, wait, wait. So, deaths. All right. Can we talk about the deaths? Yeah, let's go through them. Okay. Well, first we have Craig, who dies. He is the boy in the car who... (laughs) Oh, he he gets a machete in the head. He gets a machete in the head. Yeah, and then asphyxiated because he's not actually dead. Which is a great gag. Well, and I think that... Like a lot of other films, this opening, just till after the credits, when they get to school the next day, it's almost like a really good short film that tells you everything you need to know about this film, right? It's got the different balance of tones, it's got the subversion of expectations, and it's got female serial killers who were being mentored by an older guy. Unwittingly. Basically, when they came up with the film, they came up with the opening sequence and the ending sequence. And then they were like, okay, now we just got to figure out the middle. So it (laughs) it makes sense that like that opening sequence really does feel like its own little short film because it pretty much was. And that was the basis for what they came up with the rest of the movie. Yeah, the proof of concept. And in the opening scene, there's actually a really interesting critique on masculinity in general, because when the guy, she wants the guy to go out and, you know, investigate the strange noise. And she's like... Yeah, she berates him. She goes, why are you being such a little bitch about this? I'm sorry, I just heard you were a fucking man. Mm -hmm. Which, there's no quicker way to get a man to do something than to insult his masculinity. It's true. Which works well for the girls throughout most of this film, right? Like, think about the way that they handle the sheriff after Sill's death when, at this point, their popularity is skyrocketing and he's trying to question them and get them to take down their blog and they're basically (laughs) negotiating to get police protection and they want to know what's in it for them and when it doesn't work they're like okay bye (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah so craig dies then we get josh hutcherson who gets runs over some spikes and legs bent all over the place stabbed a bunch of times and then also asphyxiated and also, she makes out with him as he dies. Oh, and after. He's clearly dead oh, when Sadie comes down. Oh, he's clearly dead, yeah. And yeah, when she walks away, she's got the blood smeared all over her mouth. Yeah, she's clearly making out with a dead dude. I mean, Josh Hutcherson's hot, but not that hot. Yes. Maybe. I might disagree. 
but <laughs> great we're going into necrophilia now pedophilia necrophilia i mean i'm crossing all i'm, I'm marking out my bingo card as we speak so then we have sill who has the best death as she's hung up on a chain buzz through the head then we Which get she brings about herself by the way oh she, she does. totally she does. self-responsible for her own death super final destination it's great. Also, the movie calls out, not the best joke, but it works fine. And then... I do also like that the janitor doesn't even notice that they're there. It's a very easy joke and one that probably wouldn't at all work in real life. But I like that it's built on the idea that he doesn't see students because just moments before that nameless girl walks by and she <laughs> says goodnight to him and he's like, who? What? Oh, and that's the guy from Too Many Cooks. It's the It's the the cook from the end of too many cooks that's the killer is the janitor which i thought i was like i know mm. him he's creepy well and the girl walks by him she's like hello mr blah 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 and she goes hey you <laughs> <laughs> well and they wanted to make such a spectacle of it it can't look like she did it on accident so they're in there making the spectacle of it and that's what he doesn't notice like it's a double whammy well and joe this is part of my affinity for mayhem happening in the background as the people that don't notice it right well, then you have to see killers because a prostitute escapes a guy's trunk while he's talking to the police. Ah, uh, okay, yes. I live for that. We, we discuss it in our Patreon episode of Crawl when um, someone's getting attacked on a boat behind and like behind someone else and they don't even notice it happening. So you're just seeing the, cro- the alligator attack this girl like in hindsight. Or I'm sorry, in the background. But yeah, it's great. It is, yeah. Then... Then it's Big Al. Oh, and see, I liked his death, though. Like Joe, His death is awesome. As much as the scene may have not worked for you, like the final touch of that bench press or whatever, that, is that what that's called? Yep. Okay. Or Smith Machine. I've never been to a gym. <laughs> I'm being serious. So I've never been to a gym. And it's it decapitates him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it decapitates him. Halfway. I think for me, the best part in this one is actually the use of weights as mm-hmm. weapons because it's kind of terrifying. Like there's a lot of instances where the film likes to get a lot of mileage out of how these two small girls are pulling off all of these ridiculous antics. And this is where they're actually in the most danger. So watching Michaela get slammed into the mirror and watching him nearly choke Sadie to death. But most significantly of all when Michaela throws the weight at him. He just catches it. Just one-handed. Just just just, It's really a testament to his power, right? He's such a formidable threat that they have to use both of them to take him out. And then that's when you get that really good payoff where he gets decapitated. Well, sort of decapitated? Like the whole top of his head's just gone. Yeah, it like lands on his forehead or something. And then we have the principal who, oh sorry, the mayor, who is one of the ladies from the Freaky Friday remake with uh, Lindsay Lohan and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. She gets cannibal holocausted. She's Mm -hmm. impaled through the butt on a flagpole that then comes out of her mouth. Which I would love to see how Lowell did that without anyone noticing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that would take some work. Like the flagpole is quite high. He would have needed (laughs) a ladder for sure. And she would have been assuming, like, I'm assuming screaming the entire time. Unless he, oh, he might have killed her first. Killed her first, yeah. Yeah. Or just knocked her out. Yeah, but I feel like like if you were knocked out and you were feeling a flagpole go up your butt, you would probably wake up a bit. I mean, anybody who's had a colonoscopy, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we will encounter this at some point in this podcast, because I know for sure that there's at least one other death of someone getting buttholed to death butthold to death butthold to death instead of vlad the impaler it's 
at the butthole air. Yeah. This has got to be like a top three, no thank you, I do not want kind of death. For sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think, would you die instantly? I mean, because it's going through. You know what? I don't want to think about it. I mean, it depends. It depends, like, if you he, like, pushed you down real hard or if you, like, slowly slid down on it. Because I think the slow, yeah, no, it would be slow and yeah. awful. Yeah. Well, also, the top of a flypole isn't sharp. So she's no. got, like, a big ball going up her butt. Um, okay, well, this poor woman. She's dead. Yeah. I hope he took the flag down first. Oh, shit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember seeing it on there, so I think so. That would have been a nice touch, though, if, like, her brain was on top of the flag. <laughs> Wait, no, it goes through USA, her mouth. Her tongue. USA. Right? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't like social commentary in my horror movies. Me. So then... I think it's the prom. So we have the teacher who gets a throat slit. Lowell gets shot in the head. Jordan gets hung, hanged. Hung. Hanged. 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 And then everyone get burns alive. Yeah. yeah, he might be hung, but he was definitely hanged. True story. True story. We'll never know. Not in this movie. <laughs> I'm glad that the film avoided the sex scene by interrupting it with a murder scene instead. Yes. Because I just, not only did I not think that Jordan and Sadie had very much chemistry, not by fault of either actor, but because the characters are so obviously wrong for each other, but it's kind of encouraging that we don't actually ever see either of the two girls in a sex scene. Like the film doesn't need to do that to them, for lack of a better term. And again, written by two men, directed by one of those two men that wrote it. So it's kind of good for you guys. Yeah, I mean, there's and there's references that they're sexually active. Do you know how many hand jobs she had to give and things like that? But <laughs> like three. thirty, like no, 30. she said three. No, no, she said like thirty. She said thirty. Did she? Because I, I remember yeah. thinking about the wrist trauma involved. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh god, that's like some major carpal tunnel you're getting there. Seriously, I was like, girl, you better be doing wrist workouts. No. She can tragically no longer hold a flashlight now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Buffy reference, by the way. Oh, fuck. That went over my head. Vintage. Uh, yeah. Well, are there more things we need to talk about? We want to talk about? Have either one of you seen Behind the Mask? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that was the film that I always ended up comparing this film to. More so on the first watch as compared to this most recent rewatch. I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts about how it depicts the background insight into a killer's motivation? So I'll say up front, I think Tragedy Girls is a more fun movie than Behind the Mask, but I think Behind the Mask is a better movie. Hmm. Only slightly. Okay. Because the issue I have with Tragedy Girls is, I don't want to say the tonal shift, but really just the third act in general, like, up until they just they team up again. So between their falling out and their team up, it just kind of like... Potters out a little? Yeah. The beginning of the movie starts with such, such an energy that once you get to that point, it's like the movie, yeah. It just like kind of is like winding down. And then it tries to pick itself back up again. And it kind of works, but it doesn't. And then also maybe just again, because you're going from a silly, you know, meta comedy to something a bit more serious when we're supposed to take their fallout. Like, I guess feel bad. I think the movie wants to make you feel bad for them or like, I don't know, not happy that they're not together, which I'm not happy they're not together anymore. But I'm also aware of the trope. Whereas I feel like with Leslie Vernon, it has a better grasp on tone because it doesn't. It's funny, but it's not like this kind of humor. It's darker and i think it uh, has a more consistent tone throughout i don't know maybe you disagree but i I didn't answer your question at all 
there's a lot of movies that have played with that. Like, there's Leslie Vernon. There's one called How to Be a Serial Killer. There's um, Man Bites Dog, which is kind of the OG. Right. And I feel like all of those are a lot darker. Like, this has moments where it gets really dark, and then it pulls back. Like, the sheriff crying over his son is really dark, and then it kind of pulls back just in time. Even the way the sheriff crying, though, like, that could be played for laughs. Oh, it totally could. But it doesn't. And that, I was confused by that. I don't think or it really maybe works. that's your moral marker. Like if you laugh yeah. at him, then you are as bad as the girl. Yeah, that that might be it. Well, no, but, but no, because like, there's a funny way that someone can laugh. Like I mean, like I'm thinking like <laughs> I'm thinking of the hot chick when that like ugly girl like gets rejected all the time, and she's like, ho, 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 and she like <laughs> runs away. I'm not, I'm not sorry, not the hot chick, the house bunny. <laughs> But but he's like it's real like like it's like real cry acting and I yeah. was like oh like it's not funny like oh the the director he said um that originally that went on a lot longer and that in test screenings people were super turned off by it he like apparently was like my baby boy my only son uh, and I'm yeah, just like I'm yeah. glad they cut it short then yeah. I think it's just the right amount then yeah yeah probably so but i mean either way this is a four out of five for me i think leslie vernon's probably a four out of five too but i prefer it more to this one but like i said this is a more fun watch but all right so sorry your original question (laughs) no it was just how do the two compare because to me they both suggest to offer insight into the mind of a killer but in a very kind of confessional way so i was just intrigued to see if there was more there that you were sensing yeah i think they go together some the, the one I pair it with is Thoroughbreds. Like, even though Thoroughbreds is definitely a much more serious, dark, artsy movie, like, it feels like they're kin. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Well, but... <laughs> it is darker. This one is tonally more in sync with Leslie Vernon, but yeah, I think maybe thematically it's more in sync with Thoroughbreds, so I, I can see that. I mean, either way, they'd all make for a killer triple feature. Yeah, I mean, they both made me laugh really hard, and I love really dark humor. Like, Gallo's humor is my favorite. That makes me laugh the hardest, so that's probably yeah. why I loved them both. Because I feel like Leslie Vernon has a lot of humor, but it's much more concerned with what it is to be a villain and sort of, like, humanizing the character of Leslie Vernon, whereas I don't feel like there's interest in humanizing any of these girls, whether it's in Thoroughbreds or Tragedy Girls. Like, we're not supposed to empathize with them, even if we're rooting for their friendship. What's interesting, I've seen people comment that they feel like these characters are shallow and they're not even really fleshed out, which I don't think I, don't think I, I would agree, agree with, with that. No. But I think that part of the reason that people struggle with that is because, as we said, it's teen girls, it's high school, they're social media obsessed. So I think people dismiss them just outright because they're falling into these particular categories that society typically does not value all that much. Also, even if they are not very fleshed out, it's a fucking, like, horror comedy that's supposed to be kind of stupid and fun. So, have fun with it. (laughs) Right? You're not making the same criticisms of Tucker and Dale, and they're just two dumb rednecks. Come on. Uh, Yeah, You know what? Actually, Tucker and Dale is probably a better comparison. (laughs) No, it it totally is. Even though, because they are murderers, just accidentally. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like they're, they're much better people, though. Which is really that film's only joke, though. Yeah. You've got spectacular death sequences and then these two 
oafs who keep accidentally getting into these terrible situations. <laughs> and I love Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and it's super fun. But that's what I'm saying, though. Maybe it's because this movie is saying something, so the people that don't like it, or sorry, some of the people that don't like it, they don't realize they don't like it because they feel like they're the ones being criticized. Or they're not represented, and they're not used to not being represented. Yes. good. Oh, that's good. That's really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I was so, uh, Not really many people that listen to this because a lot of them are queer. Not all of them. But if you didn't feel represented in this movie and that made you angry, think about how we felt for a long time. Right. <laughs> Women and queer folks and people of color and anybody who's not the standard... Yes. Yeah. Which is funny because so many horror films are actually implicitly built around all of these different ideas. And yet. And yet. It's always the white guy, the straight white guy that survives. Or the straight white girl who's super virginal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're Jessica Biel. Yeah. You're either Jessica Biel or you're... Uh, I don't know. I can't think of a... Like, all the, the final guys I can think of are, like, really random and weird. So I guess I don't have a good one for that. This is unbelievable. I cannot believe y'all are insulting Jessica Biel. Yes, thank you, Bojack. <laughs> <laughs> I use that a lot, actually. <laughs> Pretty much as often as you reference the house bunny. Yeah. I don't think I referenced the house bunny before, but this yeah. is Jessica unbe... Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> well, whatever. I'm going to keep a placard next to my Of the movies that I mentioned? Just like the random non-horror movies that you reference. It's actually going to give me away as not being a very creative person because, yeah, I, re- I go to the same well every couple episodes. <laughs> this is fine. You know what? It's called a callback. We'll just go with it. Yeah, exactly. Fold it into our drinking game. I'm not bothered, so... It's, well, yeah. Oh, you're not bothered for once. Dude, I did that for you. Come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, uh, so I have two games. Two okay. Games. First one is a memory game. So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ask each of you to define a term based off of the definition provided by this film. You are not allowed to help the other one out. Repeat that one more time. Okay, so I'm going to give each of you a definition, and you're not allowed to help the other one out. Okay. So... Danny, I would like you to identify what a serial killer is based on what Tragedy Girl says in their helpful, informative video early in the film. Oh, my goodness. Um, I didn't know there was a pop quiz. Uh, (laughs) a serial killer is... How about this? While you're thinking about it, Trace, I will give you yours because this will help. Is it mass murder? What is a spree killer? Spree killer is someone who kills a bunch of people in a short period of time. So, like, maybe killing two people at once and they're done, or, like, three people in, like, a week and they're done. Right? Okay. Yep. And Danny? A serial killer is somebody who kills people over a long period of time and who usually leaves some sort of calling card or, you know, special special trick. Yeah. Tokens and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Wait, are, to- are tokens, like, required part of serial killers? Like, leaving a, um... A calling card? It's not required, but it's pretty common. Yeah. Okay. If they don't have a calling card, then they usually have a... The same MO. Same, same MO, yeah. Same method of killing or same sort of thing. that Or, or same type of victim they go after. There's always some kind of um, pattern. Got it. So in this case, how would you define Sadie and Michaela? Serial killers. Even though they're killing people over a very short period of time and using mm. different methods? You don't know how short a period of time it is because it could still be like, it could be like a semester of school because it seems like there's some time jumps. 
There's so, at least two weeks in between the attack at the sheriff's house and when Sadie gets her plaque. And we're also led to believe that they continue killing when they go to college. Fair. Yes. And and they definitely have they have an mo they have masks like if you're mm, if, if you're okay. you know you've got a style you've got masks and the the other thing is you know that they want these to be big crazy outlandish things yeah yeah this is very much like their their training class like they're getting their training wheels removed so they're trying to figure out what works for them and then if there ever is a sequel it would be like okay they've gotten their groove on they figured out what their mo is right and they'll have a calling card figured out by that point whether it's like a rose for the town they were in or like they paint the symbols on the masks on somebody's face or something there's there's something Mm. coming it's just they haven't figured it out yet because like even with, like, the masks and how they kill and stuff, because there's a couple times when they're like, oh, dude, we weren't going to do that. Well, this is lame. I didn't want to dress in all black. <laughs> like, you can tell they're figuring out how to be a serial killer. Yeah. Right. As a sidebar, where the fuck is the sequel to this movie? Because there right. is, like, some showgirls level of, you can't tease me, they're driving off to go to college and continue this, and then not give me that movie. It made $62,000 at the U.S. box office. That's where your sequel is. <sighs> all right. All right, so game number two. Game number two. So this one is less of a pop quiz and more of an open discussion. And it fits in nicely because, Trace, you and I have just released a Patreon mini about horror fans and empathy, and we've been having this conversation. So Mm -hmm. what level of social media fame would it take for you to murder someone? Who's the someone? Oh, like a victim of your choice. Ooh. So, like, you can use your current Twitter follower number, and how many people would you want to get in order to say, okay, I'm going to murder somebody to get that? Um, I mean, if it's, like, an innocent person, it would take an awful, awful, awful lot. But if it's, like, somebody... Well, I mean, if you want to drop names of, like, a famous person, yeah, for sure, like, go <laughs> <laughs> No, because the CIA will start knocking on my door. This is true. You might get banned from Twitter for a week as well. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I don't think I could do it for likes. Like, I would have to do it for my own reasons. Like, it would absolutely have to be, like... A revenge personal thing. Yeah, like, I couldn't just kill somebody for Twitter likes. Yeah, like, I think think I'm in the same boat. I mean, well, uh, yeah, I think I'm in that boat. I'm I'm, I'm gonna gonna puss out of this one and be like, yeah, I don't think I could do it. Yeah, no, it would have to have some other motive. (laughs) Like, I have to have another motive. Like, if there's no motive whatsoever and you're just gonna pick a rando, there's no amount of likes that would do it. Now, if you want to give me, like, a stipend of, like, a million dollars every year, I would totally murder someone. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so now we're going into the box territories, what you're saying. Yes. Well, yeah. Yes. I'll push that button as long as I know that I'm not getting killed next. Well, so Joe, you seem very surprised. So what the fuck was your, what is your threshold for social media likes? <laughs> well, hey, I thought that both of you would be a little bit more fun and actually just play <laughs> along. Um, uh, I mean, hey, I don't think any of us are killers, so I don't think any of us would actually do it. But in a hypothetical, indecent proposal, the box kind of situation, I'd do it for a million. Oh, man, that's like a million followers? Yeah. Oh, man, that's um low low bar there, man. Well, it seems like a low bar, but when you're someone who, you know, has under a couple thousand followers, that's quite the increase. It's, there you it's go. a lot. I mean, a million followers, you'd, you'd get some, 
some deals, you know, me undies and start sending you something. Oh right. yeah, you yeah. you got you got to be your uh, influencer. I get me that Casper mattress. I'm going to get that free thing where they send you the food and you just have to blue prepare apron, it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so you you're going to have blue apron and you're going to have me undies and you're going to have a Casper mattress, probably audible for life. Yeah. So you both wimped out on this. No, there I is out. no number that would make there, you No, not not for, not, not, not social for media. Random, no. Yeah. Okay. I'm disappointed. I'm just, give me cash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, social media is fleeting. I've seen enough people that had millions of followers tank it overnight to know that, like, if I had a million followers, I'd screw it up anyway. Oh, yeah. wait. Actually, that's a good caveat, Danny. So they could not be Russian bots. My million could not be made up of bots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> if if you're looking for some hired hands, don't come to Joe with Russian bots. Exactly. Make sure you got some real followers. Yeah. So, so you, if I have a million real followers, real fans? Yes. If I was guaranteed the person was a crappy person, sure. Okay. I'd do it for a million. But they'd have to be a crappy person. Like, I'm putting my my blood of the innocents and rice little caveat on that. You know what? You two can go fuck yourselves. Because I'm I'm typically the one that gets accused of being the heartless one on this show. And I'm the only one that has not caved in for your little scheme. <laughs> okay, well, here. We'll throw it back to you, Trace. You said, give you money. So how much money? Um... It would have to be a million dollars a year after taxes. Wow. Oh, right, right. Because whoever's going to pay you money to kill someone is going to consider your tax situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're going to exactly. figure out your exact tax bracket and figure out all of the before and after. Sure. I'll never forget watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and the first time the guy won a million dollars, my dad was like, well, you know, he only gets like 500000 of that. Yeah. <laughs> See, once again, plug for Canada. We don't get taxed if we win the lottery. Look, I already want to move to the Great White North anyway, so... <laughs> yeah. You're preaching to here. the choir. The very <sighs> poor choir. Yeah. Okay. Just saying, I've got Casper mattresses, I've got a million followers, uh, free healthcare, and I'm winning all of that Who Wants to Be a Millionaire money. <laughs> <sighs> well, we're fucked, so... <laughs> we are. It's okay. The world is a raging dumpster fire anyway, so it's, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. All right. Are all right. we... I think we're done? So can I move into housekeeping? Yes. Okay. So before we announce what we're covering next week, Danny, is there anything you'd like to plug? Just uh, check out Third Times the Charm, which you can find on genrevision.com, part of the Genrevision family of podcasts. We're just about to finish up our first season. Our very last episode for the season's coming out soon. We're doing Batman Forever, and we're going to talk about a oh, que our queer Jesus. read of it. So oh, Nice. Okay. Is it all Jim Carrey in the green leotard? I mean, and Batman in that leather daddy suit with the nipples? Come <gasps> the on. Nipples, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, there's lots to talk about. And after uh, we did Dark Knight recently, or not Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Rises. recently, and we were, not, we were not super big fans of that one. So I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I agree, because the only good part of that movie is Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Basically? <laughs> and her little cat ears. Yeah. I love those, her little cat ears, and also just her being sassy the entire time, just like, oh. She's no Michelle Pfeiffer, but she's she's the only person having fun in that movie, mm -hmm. and it, it is long and not that great. Yeah, it's three hours long, Batman doesn't show up for an hour and ten minutes, so. Cool. He's stuck in that fucking cave, or whatever. You know what, though? No, could... he's being sad at Bruce Manor, that's the worst, or Wayne Manor, he's just wandering around like, ooh, Rachel. Oh. 
Yeah, but you know what? You, you fix that by having better villains because Batman Returns, Batman is also barely in that movie, but you have two villains who are awesome. Well, you have Danny DeVito. Like, that's automatically plus 50 points. Mm-hmm. Wait, did you say Returns or did you say Forever? She said forever, but I was okay. saying, because she said how Batman shows up like so late into the movie. I'm like, yeah, but Batman Returns, Batman's also barely in the movie, but it's still like an amazing movie. It is. Right. Okay. I should say, though, that Batman Forever was a really early film that I saw in the theaters. Same. And Chase Meridian severely confused my sexuality for a couple of years. Uh, I agree with that. Same. <laughs> I will throw a wrench in your queer reading. I don't think there were nipples in Forever. I don't think the nipples made an appearance until Batman and Robin, but I could be wrong. You'll have to, I'll have to listen to your episode and find out. They're, they're like little nubs in Batman Forever. <laughs> and then they're full on eraser heads. And then they're heads. full on like eraser. Yeah. On, on When it's Clooney, Clooney's got the full nips, like, yeah. you know, cut diamonds with those things. But in, uh, in Forever, it's just kind of like a hint of a nipple. Oh. Noted. Well, I will be sure to check that out. No, no. <laughs> because now, now you can hear us talk about hints of nipples. Now I'm just curious. But yeah, so moving on, if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me at Traced Thurman. And I am at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about the podcast, be sure to use the hashtag HorrorQueers in your tweet so we can find you. You can also email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page. If you have two seconds, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. That's super nice of you if you do that. If you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes covering recent horror films. Our most recent episode is on Crawl, but next week we will have an episode on 47 Meters Down Uncaged, so it's been a real aquatic horror couple weeks. And you'll also get a newsletter on the first of each month that lets you know our film schedule for that month. But uh, before we officially sign off, Joe, what are we covering next week? All right. So our Femme Fatale month continues, and we're going with probably the least well-known film of the bunch, a Brazilian film called Good Manners. And I'm going to preface this by warning Canadian listeners, or maybe international listeners in general, this is a bit of a hard one to track down. So if you can call in some favors, apparently it's easy to find in the States and not so easy to find in other places. Yes, it is uh, available to rent on Amazon Prime for 99 cents. You can stream it (laughs) if you live in the States. It's a $30 DVD with no special features in Canada. Oof. Well, yeah, so it's called Good Manners or As Boas Maneras. Oh, fuck. I'm going to have to pronounce names. Uh. I know. It's Brazilian. (laughs) Portuguese. There you go. But I'm glad you didn't say what it was about because the logline of this movie gives quite a bit away that I think you're better off going into the movie not reading the logline. So, yes, I purposely didn't. Yeah, so uh, listeners, if you haven't seen the movie, please don't read the plot. Just trust me. Um, I saw this at Fantastic Fest a couple years ago, I think 2017, and I gave it a four and a half out of five. I adore this movie. It is wonderful, but it is best going in blind. Ooh. So, on that note, we can cross out Tragedy Girls. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers. This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.